greetings, everyone. My name is Nancy Fulton, and I run meetups for more than 21,000 people here in Los Angeles, writers, screenwriters, filmmakers, and actors, among others. If you visit Nancy Fulton Meetups, you can take a look at the events that I have coming up. In this particular call, I'm speaking to Megan Close Zavala, and the company which she works with is called Keller Media. And she really enjoys getting great books published and working closely with authors in order to find good homes for their work. Two authors, Mark McConnell and Natalie McCain. It's just, I think it's always good when you are uh, looking into an agent to look into the kind of people they represent. And if you check out um, uh, Mark McConnell's work on Amazon and Natalie McCain's work on Amazon, which are linked in the event description you guys took a look at, you'll see that they're very interesting books. I think The Honest Body Project, which is untouched portraits uh, that show what women really look like, is a particularly interesting project to have, have been a part of. We have a number of questions we're going to be answering, specifically questions about um, how authors can find a literary agent, how they can work efficiently with a literary agent, what kind of things they should expect from their literary agents, and what kinds of things should cause them to terminate the, an agent-author relationship in order to find a better relationship with somebody else. With that in mind, I think I'd like to go ahead and ask Megan to spend a few minutes introducing herself and talking about the kind of author she likes to work with and the kind of work she likes to take on. Great. Um, hi, everybody. As she said, I'm Megan Klosavala. Um, I am a literary agent, um, and this is, was not a career I started on straight out of college. I initially came and worked in the entertainment industry for a while um, in the business and legal affairs department of a couple different production companies and studios. So, you know, I am familiar with the, the film industry, um, but I realized that, you know, that wasn't really the career for me. And I was able to actually take a year off and live in India and really kind of figure out what I wanted to do next. And it was one of those things where publishing had just kind of been staring me in the face the whole time. You know, I've been a lifelong bibliophile. Um, I'm a writer myself. Um, and so I couldn't believe I waited that long to get involved with, you know, the written word, as it were. Um, and so I started out as an editorial assistant at Keller Media. And then within a few months, I was promoted to a literary agent. And since then, I've been representing some really great authors and book projects. And, um, you know, our agency specializes in nonfiction. Um, I'm also very interested in, in fiction. Um, you know, I love mysteries and thrillers and crime novels and things like that. Um, but basically, you know, I'm looking for authors that are, you know, offering something extra special. And I know that sounds vague, but, you know, if it's a nonfiction author, it, you know, is really great to meet someone who has a really unique idea or concept that hasn't already been, you know, beaten to death a million times already, um, or, you know, a fresh take on a topic that's already out there, you know, or an author with a particularly great platform. And I know we'll talk about that a little later in the call, but just someone who's really out there connecting with people who, you know, can bring a really dynamic participatory audience to the table, you know. And then when it comes to fiction, you know, just looking for people with a really unique voice. And, you know, so often many stories that are told are the same stories that have been told for a long time, you know. Everyone's read a million whodunits. Everyone's read a million romance novels. 
but just, you know, I really enjoy working with authors who are, you know, ready to think outside the box and offer the world something different with their writing. That sounds really cool. Actually, when I was looking at the the two clients that you sent over as representatives of some of the kind of people that you work with, I was taken by the fact they do have a very interesting voice. Those books are actually coming out this summer, um, oh. mm-hmm. which is really exciting. But And, you know, if you had said to me, oh, I'm writing a book about a UFO researcher, or oh, I have a, a picture, of, you know, I have a, an illustrated book of, you know, women showing off, you know, being proud of their bodies, I wouldn't necessarily say, where do I sign? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because those aren't necessarily commercial books. However, the way the authors, you know, Mark O'Connell is a fantastic author. He's been, you know, a, a film and TV writer for a long time. Um, so, you know, his his writing style and his take on it was really was really interesting to me. Plus, he had the added bonus of being in touch with um, J. Allen Hynek, who the book is a biography of, with his family. So he had the unique, um, you know, thing to bring to the table where he's actually has all this, you know, all the research papers and access to, you know, all the photographs and things like that. So that was really important to show editors that not only does he have you know, a fresh idea, but he also, you know, is going to make this whole process a lot easier because he has access to all the people he needs to have access to. And then with um, with the Honest Body Project, just as an example, and then I'll, I'll go into more general things that I look for. Um, you know, I, it was a really great concept, but I also liked, and people liked, you know, and editors that I spoke to also liked that she was out there and she out there every day, growing her audience you know she's hosting events in her area she's doing speaking engagements she's been interviewed in newspapers and publications all over the world and you know and this is just you know been because she has a great project and that she's really been putting herself out there and that's really attractive to agents and editors you know when it comes to platform and things like that mm-hmm. um so, yeah, so that's, you know, that's why those people were, you know, slam dunks for me as far as I got to sign these people. I got to see how far I can take their projects. Um, and, you know, when it comes to, to what I what I look for, you know, I mean, as I said, you know, I look for uniqueness and has this been done a million times before. But I also look at why the author is the right person to be writing this book. Um, you know, because sometimes, you know, I mean, when it comes to nonfiction stuff, obviously, if you're writing a medical book, you probably need to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you need to be a well-known doctor as, a, you know, to show people that you've demonstrated expertise in your field. Um, and when it comes to a fiction author, you know, it really comes down to to their, you know, to their voice and how they sound and how they present themselves. because. I think a lot of authors have a hard time thinking of themselves as salespeople and their books as products because, you know, it's such a creative process. It's such a personal, emotional process. And um, and when I can see that an author is not only talented but also pretty savvy, that, you know, is usually an indication that this could be someone to have a really great relationship with. And then, you know, of course, just, in general, um, you know, it has to be a genre that I'm interested in representing. So lots of times I'll get contacted by 
screenwriters or by poets or by children's authors. And, you know, it's not necessarily that their project doesn't have merit. It's just that at the agency, we don't work with those particular types of um, authors because, you know, that's not where our strengths lie. One of the things that's kind of terrifying about approaching agents is the notion that it's a little like dating. You know, you're, you're reaching out to somebody, and if if you find the right relationship, you know that it can totally change the course of your life because a a good author, a, a strong, prolific author paired with the right, exactly the right agent, ends up with a career that you know is the envy of the world. So you know, just to take the whole dating analogy even farther. Um, you know, when people initially reach out to us and make that first contact, you know, yes, you want to put your best foot forward and you want to seem like the most attractive candidate possible. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to, you know, yes, presenting your best self, but also being yourself. Because, mm-hmm. you know, just like, you know, if you put a picture that you found on the internet of some gorgeous person in a bathing suit, eventually we're going to, your date is going to figure out that that's not the same person as you. And that happens with potential clients too, you know, because they'll make outlandish claims, you know, oh, I do 100 speaking engagements every three months. And you, you know, wow, okay. And then, you know, you do your research and then we realize, oh, not really, they haven't even done 100 speaking engagements yet. Mm-hmm. And I can understand why you would want to fudge your credentials a little bit just to get, you know, through the gate there, um, you know, but that you know, just honesty is the best policy. And then, you know, I also find people, you know, lots of agents will say when you're doing your query letters, you want to compare your, you know, you want to do a comparison to books that are already out there. So you want to say, well, my book is The Da Vinci Code meets, you know, Gone with the Wind or whatever ridiculous <laughs> comparison. Um, but, you know, and that's important because, you know, you want to show that you understand where your book falls as far as genre and all that. But you also don't want to get too caught up in presenting yourself as, you know, something that's already out there. Because like we talked about already, you know, we're looking for fresh and exciting things. And when you're trying to be Ernest Hemingway instead of being who you are, you know, that that you do yourself a disservice. An original voice in your query letter and in your work is is more important than sounding like um, every other writer on the block. I mean, we get we get thousands of queries, you know, sometimes a month, but definitely a year. And, you know, I mean, while most agencies usually have a query manager, someone reviewing everything that comes in before it gets to the agents, you know, the agents still spend a lot of time sorting through stuff, too. And you really do. You see the same thing over and over again, even if it's, you know, wonderful, well-meaning authors. And when there's just that something that's just a little different. It's just really exciting um, and makes the process much more interesting and definitely makes us take that extra minute, hour, whatever, and actually really look deeply at the project. And, you know, and obviously you can't all be, you can't just be style and pizzazz. You have to have, you know, a good project behind you. Definitely a good idea to really spend the time, just like you've crafted a book, crafting a query letter or a book proposal and 
you know, having the elements that are supposed to be there, but also, you know, making sure that we can hear that this letter is coming from you, not from the website you copied it off of or whatever. Well, somebody wants to approach you with a nonfiction book. I think you mentioned um, nonfiction books like self-help or relationship or pop culture or pop psychology, parenting, management, mm-hmm. career, entrepreneurship, business, personal finance. Do they approach you when they have a finished book or do they pitch you when they have a proposal? And what do they do? They send you a letter. Like, how do they reach sure. out to you? Yes. Okay. So the the best way to do this, you know, we always tell nonfiction authors. We don't need to see a finished manuscript. What agents and editors want to see from nonfiction authors is a book proposal. And just real quickly, you know, it has five parts. It has an overview, which is pretty self-explanatory. It says what the book's about, why you're the one writing it, who's going to be interested. It has an author's bio. It has a marketing plan, which is where you talk about your platform and what you've been doing and are doing to build awareness around your book subject matter. Um, It has a competitive analysis where you look at several um, books that are, you know, similar to yours and then talk about how yours is better. And then it has a chapter summary section, which is basically what it sounds like and an outline of how you're planning on structuring your book. And then usually you have one or two sample chapters. Usually it's the introductory chapter and then a kind of meat and potatoes chapter so you can illustrate, you know, what your writing style is like and also what readers could theoretically expect from that. So, you know, the book proposal is kind of looked at as the business plan for your book. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what agents need to see and then what we're going to send to the editors. So when you're submitting it, and of course, this is a little fine print, you know, always go to the agent's agency's website to see what their submission guidelines are because sometimes it varies. But as a rule, um, we will get an email um, with a cover letter that'll present yourself, you know, I have written this book. It's about this. This is why it's really great. Here's some, you know, necessary information about my background. Um, you know, here's my proposal, please take a look. And then that's what we look at. And, you know, first we look at the overview in the marketing section and, you know, then we look at everything else and then, you know, the agent will get back to you. And the reason why we say to just do the book proposal to begin with is that oftentimes the structure of the book gets tweaked a little bit. So I've had plenty of clients where I've pitched them to an editor the editor's been interested and they've said, we love this book, but, you know, we are really looking for, you know, books that in this genre that are for a younger audience or, okay, could they add a few more chapters here about this subject or something like that? And when the book isn't already written, it's a lot easier to make those tweaks and changes and as opposed to having to start all over or, you know, tear out chapters and all of that. So when people are writing, um, I've noticed, it's interesting, as I've looked at a lot of nonfiction books, I've realized that there are some nonfiction books which are sort of written by the author and entirely by the author, and they have... uh, 
they, <laughs> all the examples I can think are just really arcane, but they're basically written entirely by the author. And then more and more I've noticed people, um, smart authors actually, they'll they'll write a book, but they'll actually um, put in interviews from other experts, which makes um, I think the book more valuable because. Yeah. Um, instead of it just being from one particular person's point of view, it's like that that very well educated person. Like if, if somebody was writing a book on um, how to make a movie, and then they they wrote the step by step instructions for how to make a movie, but then they went and they found like you know twenty other filmmakers, uh, right, and got them to contribute ideas. It makes the piece as a whole more valuable because absolutely, of that and investment. that's and that's actually one of the things that I talk to authors about a lot is because. You know, they have a great story, but um, you want to, you know, while you need to have a target audience while you're writing your book, you want to be able to reach as many of those people as possible. And, you know, obviously Steven Spielberg could write a book on making movies and doesn't need to include other people's stories because his career speaks for itself. But generally it's much more effective and much more attractive to publishers you know if you're writing a self-help book you need to sure show how these principles changed your life but you also want to show that you know this isn't just a flash in the pan this works for anybody you just have to take these steps and here are some examples of other people this has worked for and that's um usually a much more potentially successful route to take as opposed to just depending on the power of your story unless you are Steven Spielberg or Obama. So you've got a big following already so that you can, unless you're going to sell to your own customers. And also it makes it so that those names can be used on the, used in the marketing of the book. If you're doing, if somebody, it's nice to be able to have Steven Spielberg credited in your book because it means you can put them on the cover with the interview by Steven Spielberg or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Cool. So when you're so nonfiction authors bring a cover letter and basically this this um book business plan that has you know the outline and the sample chapters and the yeah. marketing exercises, the marketing information and so forth. The fiction authors it's not customary that a fiction author would normally approach you, especially one who's approaching you for the first time. Normally, they wouldn't approach you with an unwritten book. Is that correct? Would they? Fi- they'd have to finish it yes. before they uh, came to you. Yes, the fiction fiction authors you need to have the book written, and it needs to be edited to perfection as much as possible. Because, um, you know, yes, you have to do a query letter for that, um, but we're going to ask to see. You know, I usually personally ask to see the first 30 pages. Some agents want to see the whole manuscript at once. So you obviously want to make sure it's finished because if I've read the first 30 pages and love it, I'm not going to want to wait six months to read (laughs) the other 200 pages. (laughs) And, um, you know, and, and you want to make sure it's edited because we're ready to move forward. We're ready to sell your book. And, you know, if it's not ready to get... Um, pitch the editors, then, you know, we're going to be a lot less interested in you probably. Um, And yeah, and then when we pitch to editors, you know, we just like authors send us query letters, we essentially send query, you know, pitch letters to the editors, and they will then request the manuscript. And, 
you know, I don't want to, it's disastrous to say, well, yeah, we'll send that to you in a few months. We're so glad you're interested, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yeah, so fix, nonfiction, don't need the book to be finished. Fiction book absolutely needs to be finished. So with, with um, nonfiction books, the, normally they, the, when the um, publisher says, yes, we would like to have this book because you've sent them the template over and here's the tweaks we want you to make, they come back to you with a contract that has deadlines for delivery and you get paid based, mm-hmm. based upon achieving those deadlines. It, that's not with a fiction book. You're selling the whole, when you take the book out, you're making one deal. You're selling yes, the book, I mean, and it's happening right yes. then. Yes, I mean most publishing deals. I've not, you know, you get paid a certain portion, you know, either a half or a third of your book of your book advance upon signing, mm-hmm. and then the next payment is generally upon delivery. So that'll be. You know, if it's a nonfiction book, it'll be the delivery and final acceptance of your book. And then fiction, it'll be the, you know, same thing. Um, so either way, you know, with the fiction, with the nonfiction book, you're essentially writing it. And then you have rounds of revisions and things like that. And legal has to take a look at it. And, you know, there are people have checklists to go through. And with the fiction books, you know, there's still you know, while your writing is essentially done, you know, you still will be doing a lot of writing because your editor, who, you know, is hopefully fabulously good at their job and really believe in the vision of your book, they're going to be having you do edits as well. And so, you know, your your job isn't over by any means. Um, so, yeah, so then generally you have to, a deadline um, which is specified in the contract, and then you either get paid on your second payment on delivery and acceptance, or sometimes the contracts you get your last payment um, on the pu- date of publication. Right, that makes sense. So the that's um, a very interesting uh, overview of the of the process. And the difference between um, fiction and sort of fiction and nonfiction work. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that you've mentioned a couple of times, and I think it's a, a term of art that people use these days, which is new, maybe in the last you know five or six years, is the word author platform. Can you talk a little about what an author platform is, and who's sure. <laughs> who's supposed to actually have one? Yes. Um, yes. I mean, some people call it the P word because nobody really wants to talk about it. Um, Because you just want to write your book and be done with it. Um, But, you know, the publishing industry has changed so much. You know, people are buying fewer books. You know, the advances are smaller. And so, you know, there's a lot of pressure on authors to really bring something extra to the table in addition to the great idea and the great execution. And so that's, you know, the author's platform. With nonfiction authors, it is of the utmost importance have a great platform with fiction authors you know it's not the most important thing but it can definitely help push you ahead of the pack and what we mean by platform is a demonstration that people are currently interested in you know you and your book subject matter and are you know and that people will continue continue to be interested 
and that that audience will continue to grow. So, you know, lots of people get caught up in thinking, oh, I need to have, you know, 100,000 likes on Facebook or Twitter or, you know, any of the, any of the various social media sites. And that's great, but, um, you know, you, you need to figure out where your audience likes to receive their information. So if you're a novelist, you're probably not going to get your followers through Twitter. You're probably going to have a blog, and everyone should have an author website regardless. But, you know, you'll have people who follow your blog and interact with you that way and show that they, you know, just love your writing style and you, know, you have a mailing list. And, okay, I have this many people who will buy my book, but I'm also speaking at writers' conferences. I'm also reaching out to people in, in different ways. And, you know, you're just showing that you're building your audience and you're committed to, you know, like I said before, to being a salesperson for your book. So, you know, we've worked with authors that, you know, have very little social media presence, but they're prolific public speakers. Or, you know, they have established a really incredible amount of credibility in their field. And then, you know, we have, you know, one author that our agency has represented for several books named Dadinsky, and all he does is write inspirational quotes and put them on beautiful backgrounds. And he's had multiple New York Times bestsellers, and the way we found him was, you know, he started out with, I think, you know, when he contacted us initially, he had 500,000 followers on Facebook, and then you know, now he's has double that. Mm -hmm. And it was just he figured out where he can attract the most, you know, the highest number of people. And he's really milked that for all it's worth. And he's continued to do that over time. And that's really what agents and editors are looking for. And, you know, there are plenty of authors in their book, book proposals or otherwise that'll say, well, as soon as I get my book deal, I plan on hiring a publicist and investing this money and, and you know, that's great and you probably are telling the truth, but, you know, editors are looking at you, you know, yes, they love the written word and want to get beautiful books published, but they're looking at this as a business investment and they need to be able to tell their boss and all of the other departments at the publishing house that, you know, they're going to make money on this for the company. And having that illustration of the audience that you have been cultivating and are going to continue to grow, you know, that's one of the most helpful tools in order to convince the right people to move forward. So if, if uh, when you mention, so what I think of an author platform, what I think is of, um, a group of people, a group of uh, fans, a group of fans or an audience mm -hmm. who's ready, willing, and able to buy your work. Um, yes. Because they've demonstrated that they love your work. And whether they, some, and believe me, Twitter mystifies me. But yes. um, <laughs> it does because it's like, what can I possibly say? I'd have to write, a, I'm, it's terrible. I'd be like Donald Trump. I'd like, I'd like have, I'd, like, I'd have like 10, 10 tweets you'd have to read through to understand anything. So, yes. <laughs> but, but the point is that, like, 
but some people I've noticed, I know some people who are authors who who use it to great effect, and it's just how it's just how their brain happens to work, and that's where their customers, their audience happens to live. And sometimes they're fiction authors, like romance authors, and sometimes they're like mm-hmm. uh, nonfiction authors, and they point to articles or something. And the same is true on Facebook. And I have yeah. met those people that put out literally, they just have these cute little pithy statements. And they yeah. do just post them, and people. And for some reason, people just they just for some reason people just stumble across them and follow them and love them to death. And then when they produce their books, their books are kind of like that too. They're like weird little books, <laughs> like yeah, not, not in a mean way, but they're they're just different yeah. than. <laughs> well, it's really figuring out what your audience is interested in. So you don't necessarily need to publish chapters of your novel on your website. Mm-hmm. to, you know, illustrate, you know, that people want to buy the book. But, you know, I mean, even with our social media, you know, I could spend all day coming up with something truly substantial to share with people, but we get so many likes just when we do quotes from famous writers. And, you know, which is kind of mystifying to me because I think, well, don't you want to read all of these in-depth articles and really figure out the next steps you need to take? And, but at the end of the day, you know, we continue to build our online presence by offering what people seem to want. Right. And that's just what, you know, you need to, to figure out. And, you know, it, it's a lot of work and definitely requires some, some thought and testing and things like that. But, you know, once you find your niche, it's, you know, relatively easy to keep that going. And, you know, and obviously you want to use your strengths as well because, like you said, I mean, if you're not a natural on Twitter, you don't want to put a lot of your effort into it. You want to put your effort into updating your blog or, you know, speaking at different events or, or whatever works for you. Right, or posting, like, YouTube videos because you happen to be a comic. And so you want yeah. to – so, in other words, you have to go with what your natural strength is. But it is true that, you're in effect, you're giving away – you're giving away a bunch of your it's I was thinking about it, it's a lot like a dive of chocolate. You're giving samples to people and these samples yes. make them say they're waiting for your next sample and at some point you say, No, I have something really good but you actually have to buy this twenty you know, this twenty dollar box of chocolate. Right. Well you know? and and I know that a lot I've spoken to a lot of authors and writers conferences I've been in and things like that and they're very concerned that they're giving away their content for free. And oh if I do all of this then who's gonna buy my book? But, you know, you really have to get behind the concept of, you know, people thinking, oh, wow, I mean, if they're sharing all of this with me for free, I <laughs> this book is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've gotten so much from them already, so of course I'll spend nineteen ninety five well, or however think, much. I also think these days, I mean, it's kind of the same as with music. You know, the reason that you buy an album is because you want to give money to the to the to the band. Right. That's why, so in effect, it's people, it's not that, that somebody couldn't steal your work, it's just that they don't want to because they want to, you're basically depending upon the people who want your work to pay pay for it. And hey, I and think, you know, go ahead. yeah. So you oh, go and ahead. We, we all have these favorite authors that we feel a particular connection to. And even if we've never met them, never spoken to them, you know, we still feel like they understand some part of us or or whatever. And, you know, now with the online world and, you know, everything, it's, you know, just another way of forming that connection with a reader where, you know, they 
feel like they know you, even though they probably don't, <laughs> but, you know, they know you. And then because they have that personal connection to you, you know, they're going to want to, like you said, they're going to want to give you money for your book, even if, you know, your book is just a collection of essays from your website or whatever, you know, because they're going to want to support you because they're going to want to keep receiving content from you. That's, I think that's, that's um, a very accurate um, representation of, mm -hmm. and also real, I think authors a lot of times have to realize that you're in the business of creating a stream of content. So it's not the case that, <laughs> and I really like Harper Lee, okay? For two books in a lifetime, it's just, and it worked for her. Do not get me wrong, because it did, to, but it was quite a book, though. You know, like Harper Lee um, or, uh, you know, Nabokov or the guy who did um, Catcher in the Rye. They weren't incredibly prolific, but for some reason, they managed to acquire um, a significant audience in their book sells year after year after year after year after year. But these days, sure. authors who are successful are producing a stream of content, uh, content like Pol Polaniak yeah. or whatever his name is. Yeah, well, and then even, you know, like the crime writer James Elroy, he had written, I think it was eight books had been published before he was able to actually quit his job as a golf caddy and actually write full-time. So, you know, you need to get used to being in that mindset of, you know, I mean, hopefully, obviously, hopefully you get a trillion dollar advance and worldwide fame and, you know, you don't have to do all that extra legwork. But if you get into the mindset of constantly, you know, churning out content, constantly connecting with your audience, seeing what they're interested in, what they want, what they like of yours, you know, once you get into that mindset, it's a lot easier to you know, keep that stamina over time. Right. And you mentioned um, that the, so let's say that somebody uses as part of their platform Amazon. So in other words, they've they've self-published a book or self-published three or four or five books and they've had some look selling through Amazon in the sense that, you know, maybe when they release a book, it becomes an Amazon bestseller for a little while and then it sort of, goes down to being something that generates a little bit of money every month, but they've got they've created a following for themselves. Is it is mm -hmm. that acceptable, or is it the case that somebody that that editors and auth, um, companies don't like people who who do any kind of self publishing? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you asked that question um, because you know self publishing is definitely controversial within the industry. Excuse me, and and lots of people assume that as an agent, I'm going to say, you know, self-publishing is evil. How could you do such a thing? Um, but you know, obviously, in some cases, that totally makes sense for the author. And in some cases, if your book has done really well on Amazon, then you know that could be hugely interesting to us and could definitely make you an attractive possible um, client. The, the issue that happens with, um, you know, using Amazon is that a lot of times people will start out, you know, having this, you know, they're blowing up on Amazon, but by the, by the time they pitch us, you know, they're not doing as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's great that they did well initially, but we need to show that people are still interested in you, not just mm -hmm. the people who were interested in you six months ago or whatever. Right. So, you know, usually we'll we'll look at the 
excuse me, the sales ranking on Amazon, you know, where you just scroll down the page mm-hmm. and it's there with all of the publishing details. And, you know, usually if it's, you know, 250,000 or lower, meaning obviously up to number one, um, you know, usually that'll, that'll give us pause and we'll, we'll want to hear more. Um, mm-hmm. But if it's, you know, higher than that, meaning that it's not selling as well, you know, that, that can be really difficult for us. Again, not that we're, you know, don't want to help you get your book out there and get in the hands of more readers, but just because editors are very pessimistic as a rule about books making that jump from having been self-published to being traditionally published. And of course, there are success stories, mm-hmm. definitely. I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey and um, Still what Alice. Your, what color is your parachute? Yes, exactly. So, you know, there are always exceptions to the rule, but, you know, as um, Paul Levine, another literary agent, always says, the reason you hear about those in the news is because those are newsworthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, not every self-published book can achieve that same amount of success. So again, mm-hmm. you know, and the reason why, you know, traditional, you know, why literary agents might poo-poo on self-publishing it most of the time is because, um, you know, the authors just need to go in there being informed consumers. And obviously, you know, people are going to, say they're going to make you a New York Times bestseller overnight, and that's not probably going to happen. Um, you know, but also, when it comes to self-publishing, you're building your platform is even more important, even if you're not trying to go the traditional publishing route, because it's, you know, basically 98% up to you to get those books in readers' hands. And you know, and so that's kind of a trap a lot of authors get into is that they self-publish a book, don't really do much marketing, then decide they want to go the traditional publishing route so that they can have a traditional publisher and the resources that they offer help them do that. And it usually doesn't end up working out necessarily. You know, but there are also different things that people can do. Um, You know, you can take your book off of Amazon and, you know, pitch it as a brand new project, Um, you know, but I wouldn't try and make any claims about how well a book has done unless it's been that well, because even if the literary agent doesn't check it, the editor is going to look up the ISBN number and they're going to see, oh, it only sold this number of books. No way, you know. But I mean, if if it's a case that somebody is an author and they've published, self-published three books and they've done well and they bring you a fourth book, so it hasn't been published previously, um, then because they want to make the transition to being, to having Mm -hmm. a partner in in an agent and a partner in a publisher that likes their work, that makes sense because... Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. I mean, it is, if it's a, a series, usually... Editors and agents like to get in on the first book, you know, Mm -hmm. as opposed to tale four and the saga of whatever. Um, But yeah, but I mean, if you've self-published books and they've done well, absolutely you should pitch agents, you know, you should pitch agents because, you know, that's, that's great. I mean, that's a great way of illustrating 
like we've been talking about, that you have this audience of people that are buying your books and are interesting what interested in what you're going to do. So you're going to have at least that many more people, you know, at least that many people who are going to want to buy book number four. Right. And also it makes it so that it proves that you've got some sort of, you've got a business head on your shoulder in the sense that you found a way to get these exactly. people to purchase the book in the first place. And, you know, exactly. and you've been successful enough and prolific enough that you can produce multiple books and have multiple books mm-hmm. sell. So the, another question that I was going to ask you about is when, um, one of the things an agent can help you with is sort of ta- ensuring that your contract reflects, with a publisher, reflects that they're going to put money into marketing um, and promoting the book. Because I think that's the biggest advantage of working with a traditional publisher. You know, you're usually not going to make as much in terms of the percentage of royalties um, as you would if you self-published. But what you do get the benefit of is their existing channels of distribution and their existing methods for marketing which have worked for them in the past and the agent can make it sure that they're going to make that investment yes i mean when it comes to the contract itself you know there isn't a part that says you know publisher agrees to invest this amount amount of money into marketing but they have the advance that you get you know the how they come up with that number is there you know not only thinking about how much money they're going to make on you eventually, they're thinking about how much money they're prepared to invest in you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's something that we definitely look at as agents when we're choosing which editors to pitch your book to because, you know, obviously if someone's just giving you a lowball figure, then that, you know, will make you see that, okay, maybe they're not prepared to really put the full power of their marketing team behind this book, you know, and then obviously if it's a higher advance, then, you know, that's a really good sign. Um, You know, and I will say that sometimes if you go to, you know, a more boutique publisher, that sometimes they might offer a a lower advance up front, but they're much more motivated to, you know, get your book out there because they're looking to grow their their imprint. Whereas, you know, Harper Collins is Harper Collins. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but yes. Yeah, so, but the agent is there to help make sure that you know the deal is as good as possible. So, not only are you making as much money as possible, but you are um, getting as much help as you possibly can and that you also are maintaining as much freedom as you possibly can. So I know when I had talked to you before, we kind of talked about, you know, reserve, like film rights. And, you know, a lot of times, yes. I mean, if it's a big publisher, they will, the vast majority of the time, insist on retaining film rights because, and they'll usually get to do that because they're the big guys. Um, But lots of times, I, you know, we've done deals where we reserve the film rights and that allows you to, you know, pitch your projects, pitch the film side of your project to anyone you want. Mm -hmm. And obviously that would offer you, you know, more, probably more money up front when it comes to those rights. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Even though obviously if you are doing so through an agent, you'd still have the agent commission. Um, But, you know, we try to reserve as many 
rights as possible or as many rights as makes sense. You know, we do a lot of um, foreign rights licensing for our authors, you know, where, again, that's just us pursuing opportunities outside of the country. And, you know, even though the book is already sold, still helping the author find ways to make more money off of it. Right. And I think that that's a... Um... I think that that's an interesting idea. In other words, understanding that that just like a movie, uh, mm-hmm. a book is a parcel full of rights. It's the it's you know the the book in hardcover, the book in softcover, but more importantly, the book in French, the book in Spanish, the book sold as a film or as a television show. So that's one of the things the agent agent can help you with is say, is making it so you retain you you sell the rights off in pieces. I mean, for example, uh, um. Uh, Polaniuk's book, the one about um, what would Tyler Durden do? I can't remember the name of his uh, Fight Club. Fight Club, right? So if you yeah. think about not that particular deal, but if you imagine a book similar to to Fight Club, mm-hmm. having the having Fight Club sell well as a book, and then being mm-hmm. able to turn around to a film uh, a, a film um, studio, a movie studio, and saying, okay, so this book sold really well, and now I have this um it, but and the film rights are available they the fact that you can sell those rights off separately the movie can get made you get revenue both from the from the movie sale as well as from the, the increased sales of the book so that's an opportunity that happens right yeah but, and then also you know an, another aspect of the contract that agents really try to help their authors with is that option um is you know the option clause where you know just like if you're a screenwriter and you're doing a deal with a production company very often they have the option you know, where they have you know they have first look on your next project and you can't pitch that project to anyone else until they've looked at it and said yay or nay um and you know that also happens in book contracts too but you know usually you know we can either get the option struck from the contract, or we can say, you know, that it's an option on a book in the same, of the same subject material. So, you know, Mm -hmm. if you've written your self-help book, or, you know, if you've written your great American novel, but now you've decided you want to write a self-help book, you know, very often agents can, you know, make it work so that you don't have to then also publish your self-help book with the same people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's really about, in addition to protecting your rights and getting your book sold as effectively as possible, you know, a lot of the agent's job is, you know, advocating for you and finding ways for you to continue to grow yourself and grow your career. Mm-hmm. I I agree. The other thing is, um, so somebody has um, sent one of the questions we've got was that, you know, if a, if a writer like if a, if a writer has proven themselves with self-publishing, you know, what's the benefit of working with a major publisher um, since they're going to still have to be doing marketing? And mm-hmm. I think the the advantage um, to the an, a, a successful non uh, a successful author that's self-published is that if this is how good you're doing without any support how much better are you going to do when you have a publisher who is in a position, who has a, a, um, a set of channels that they use to market books regularly 
and uh, people that do press and PR and all those kinds of things, it, it could well be the case that you end up making significantly more because yeah, I you're mean, working you with just, a good partner. Have, yeah, you have you have you're not alone in this effort, and you know, like I said before, I mean, the editor's not gonna, I mean, the publishing company's not going to invest in you if they don't think they're going to make money too. So they're, you know, doubly motivated essentially to make you money and, and get the get the word out there on your book. And, you know, also, I mean, even with the way the publishing industry has changed and even with so many self-published authors, you know, doing well, there is still the additional, you know, clout that comes through having a traditional publishing deal. You know, whether that's, getting people to pick up your book because now it's in Barnes and Noble and, you know, it's on an end cap or, you know, if it's just opening up new opportunities to you as an author, because anyone can self publish, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's the real downside of self publishing because so many, so many amazing authors get lumped in with these not so amazing authors. Mm -hmm. And so saying that you are a self published writer, you know, doesn't necessarily open a door for you, like saying, oh, I'm a random house author, what? Mm-hmm. That's a, that's definitely true. I mean, it's all, I think it's it, kind of a perfect example is J.K. Rowling, she her, she sold her for, she, <laughs> poor as a church mouse, she wrote her book sitting in, in a in a pub, mm-hmm. um, and when she did finally sell, and you know, and actually, they don't talk about the fact, or they don't make much of a big deal about it. But she wrote the book, which was incredibly long in the first place, sent it off to like a huge number, you know, mm-hmm. submitted it to a lot of people. Um, but she had also done all the work; the, she'd done a lot of the structure work for for um, the six remaining books. And mm-hmm. there's no way that she would have been nearly as successful in putting together that intellectual property and selling it as effectively as she did without having that partner. So there's a limit to how big she could have gone. She just wouldn't have had nothing. Nothing would have been as big. So she could, she could have been exactly the same person producing exactly the same work, but she might've only ever produced the first book and it might never have been read by that many people just because it never got any kind of exposure at all. Right. And, you know, an an important addition to that is, you know, when she started pitching her book it wasn't like the first editor who saw it bought it you know Mm -hmm. she got tons and tons of rejections you know which is of course hilarious to think now and Mm -hmm. how could you live with yourself if you're the editor that said or the agent that said no to jk rowling but you know i think that that's a really important thing for authors to see because you know they'll pitch to agents or editors or whoever in a traditional publishing field and they'll get a bunch of rejections and they'll think, well, you know, screw that. I'm going to go self-published. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can absolutely do that. And there's no shame in doing that, but you really need to use your, you know, rejections as a learning experience, you know, and, and unfortunately lots of times agents don't have the time to, you know, send you a super personalized email saying here are three reasons why we can't accept your book. Um, but you can really, you know, learn from your experiences. So if you've sent out your, you know, your pitch email to people for your novel and nobody's requested it, maybe the problem is your, you know, your query letter. 
And maybe right. you need to go back and work on that. Or maybe you need to really take a look at the editors you're, or the agents that you're pitching. And, you know, okay, well, you know, maybe I need to be more specific. Or now that I think about it, that agent, you know, sure, they publish romance novels, but they only like historical romance or whatever. Right. Right. And, you know, you really need to, you know, it's not just I'm going to try this once and we'll see how this goes. You know, right. you need to be like, J.K. Rowling or like most of the authors out there that, you know, really have to put a lot of effort into it. Well, I mean, but the payoff is obviously great. Well, and I also think a lot of effort is kind of an interesting thing because, you know, there's the effort a lot of times comes with actually choosing to to write writing the book. And <laughs> I actually tell people all the time, look, I have, I have friend, all my friends are creative folks and they call me up mm-hmm. sometimes and go, I'm never going to write another word. It's so stupid. I hate writing. And I go, you should totally quit. You should quit right now. Never write another word. You know, and then later they call me back and, you know, they'll be writing again. And they go, I can't believe you told me to quit. And I go, it's like telling an addict to stop cocaine. You know, <laughs> if you can quit, you should totally do that. <laughs> but yeah. it's not like really a risk, is it? <laughs> I was just telling you, it's like my equivalent of me telling you to take a vacation. It's not like you can choose right. to stop, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. You know, we're lucky we can sell our addictions, you know. But the yes. but what is definitely true is that I think a lot of times people don't realize that the sales process, once the book is written, a lot of it is not incredibly difficult. It's just um it's a if you don't put your heart on the line every single time and you realize that it's an experiment and that you don't have enough information. So it's yeah. a little bit like saying, would you like popcorn? You know, it could be that the person you're talking to could be totally the nicest person in the world. You could totally be the best of friends, but they don't particularly want popcorn today. And that happens to be what you're selling. They don't want this kind. Of, and it may be the case that you're pitching the wrong person, the wrong thing. It could be a problem with your query letter, you know, but yeah, it's, and, it's not personal is my point. They don't they don't know you from Adam, so how personal could it be? <laughs> right. Well yeah. And it's I think it's very important to realize to remind yourself, even though I mean rejection hurts. I mean it hurts when an editor tells me they're not interested in my client's project, even if they have a good reason to be. You know, I mm-hmm. I understand the pain as well, but I think it's really helpful to remind yourself that it is not personal, you know, and that yeah, someone's just not in the mood for popcorn or Mm-hmm. You know, or maybe they already had popcorn because I already have, you know, a client who has a book about the exact same thing. Right. And so I can't effectively pitch two of you. So unfortunately, it's just timing, you know, and that happens a lot, you know, when we're pitching projects to editors because I've had amazing projects and I've literally had editors tell me I just acquired a book about the same subject matter yesterday oh or something. god that's, that's killing that's like awful yes. well let me know if it falls out because maybe they're awful <laughs> if they're really awful <laughs> you call me because yes. I, I have something that is not awful yeah i mean it's like i think but in other words that part of it is just um it's this, the business part isn't personal and it's not um you don't need to lose your it's not something you have to actually um, invest yourself in emotionally because they don't. They it's not like I I said people go well. I tried to sell my book, you know, and I sent out query letters and nobody got back to me. And I go well, nobody saw your book then, so they didn't take right. your book. The other thing I would say is this: one thing I like about working in the entertainment industry is that you know there's a lot of companies you can hire to do coverage, and they and a lot of the coverage mm-hmm. companies 
I like I like this one company that actually gives you bios on the people that do coverage, and you can actually tell them that you can actually specify that you want mm -hmm. the coverage to come from people from a particular target market. Just because I have a feeling that maybe if you write, I happen to write um, women's, I happen to write horror stories, sort of more sixth sense than, uh, let's say, um, human caterpillar, right? And so, right. <laughs> it's so it's going to be. Like more of interest to you know more PG thirteen than R, but it, when you get coverage, you might get if you get boys, a lot of times they're gonna they're gonna say it's not violent enough or it's not gory enough because that's what they want in their fiction. So being able right. to get feedback from a particular target market is interesting. And I have actually found that I really like um, I when I when I write books, a lot of times uh, if I'm gonna get them commercially published, I just or if I'm going to work with a publisher before I even begin to pitch it, I just go get it professionally edited. I just hire an editor whose work I really like. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, it's so less, much less stress. Yeah, <laughs> if, if you know the editor and you're paying them, it's a better, it's just a better relationship right from the start, I find. Yeah, well, yeah. And, you know, I wanted to say two things about that. One, you know, it is, no matter what type of book you're writing, it is important to have people, you know, edit. And it's not just, you know, have people read it and give feedback and stuff. And it's obviously not just having your, your spouse or your mom right. or your best friend or something like that. You know, it's really important to join writers groups and critique groups and have beta, reader, beta readers or hire an editor, you know, because you need impartial feedback. And, yes, it should absolutely, you know, it should be from – someone who, you know, understands structure and style and things like that, right. but that it should absolutely be people in your target audience because, yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge horror fan, so mm -hmm. I'm going to be reading your stuff with different eyes than I right. would be, you know, if I was. Right. And, you know, and also, um, you know, it really behooves an author to, you know, do their research and understand what else is out there so they mm -hmm. can understand what they need to do with their book to, you know, make it fit in on whatever shelf in Barnes and Noble, but also figure out ways to, you know, have it stand out. And, right. and you know, that's, that's what I always tell people, you know, and the, the cool thing about doing research is, you know, in that way is that, oh, poor me, I have to read books in this genre right. that I already love. <laughs> that I really you know? love, which is why I do it. Well, and I think that that's, I think that that's um, uh, one of the reasons I've really enjoyed working with professional editors is that the feedback they give and the way they give feedback, it tends to be mm -hmm. more professional. And the, first of all, they, they do all that stuff in terms of catching copy edits and they and, and right. Da, da, da. But they also have a sense for structure issues, and the other thing is that they have an, a notion for um, this. <laughs> like they have no problem saying, you know, this whole part of the book, this whole like there's like there's like eighty pages here. I don't care about anything that happens right. in these eighty pages. Yes. <laughs> you should get rid of them entirely, okay? And it's something that like your friends are not going to tell you. These entire eighty pages don't improve them. <laughs> You're saying yes. you're going to improve them. Take them out. Yes, that's the you really need. Yes, and you really need someone who's you know wanting to help your book as opposed to wanting to help you. You know mm -hmm. where you know they are going to hurt your feelings, mm -hmm. and they're aware of that. But that's their job, you know. And and that is really, I you know, I think that's really awesome when people find 
good editors to work with who yes. can help them get, you know, that, you know, trustworthy editors, um, you know, because I, you know, because I will say that, mm-hmm. you know, that is another way that authors get burned sometimes, yes. is, you know, they'll meet some editor that'll say, oh, I have all these great credentials, you know. No, I but... have to shop for them. It takes me, like, it's ridiculous. And also, a lot of times about good editors is they have this terrible tendency to go get hired by publishing companies, which is really awkward to them. Because yeah. then they don't want to read stuff for free. But, or not, I mean, I, I always pay them anyway. But I think it's really a factor is that a really good editor um, comes from a like you can you look can look at the companies that they've worked for and also mm-hmm. you can take a look at the things that they've edited and that's where i usually find if if i if i get information stuff from an editor if i get samples from an editor and i like all of the samples and they're in my genre then that's different than if i'm just getting feedback it's not it's there it's kind of a mystical relationship between a good editor and a good I mean, I could totally see how Hemingway probably turned in stuff on napkins, you know? Right. <laughs> I don't even, like, Hunter S. Thompson's editor. Let's just take a moment. Right. <laughs> you know, it's due tomorrow, and he's going to send it to you via fax <laughs> with coffee right. stains on most of the pages. You know, or yes. you, you hope yeah. they're coffee stains. You don't know. <laughs> it could be blood, but we're just going to pretend it's coffee. So... But finding a good editor to do um, – my point being that I think a lot of times um, authors don't realize that that's not something that the agent's going to do. The agent doesn't edit. The agent is does – because I've heard people say that. Well, I sent the book, and the, the agent said it had to have a lot of changes, but they wouldn't tell me what the changes were. And it's like it's not the editor's job. It's not the agent's job to tell you that. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, I I <laughs> value being more hands-on with my clients than a lot of people because there are a lot of agents that won't sign a client unless they're ready to go that second and to be sent out to editors. But, you know, we agents do not make any money from you at all unless they sell your book. So obviously Mm -hmm. they have to be very careful with the amount of time they invest, just like you wouldn't want to write a book and not get paid for it. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, agents can't afford to help you out unless they feel like you're in pretty good shape, you know, but and I think it's scary for a lot of people to hire editors or, you know, people to help them because, you know, it, it costs money. I mean, you're going to pay money to have a good editor. Right. Um, well, and it's true and it's and, expensive. But, I mean, it's it's like, you know, you can spend a two, three thousand dollars to get a good editor. I mean, it, it depends on what the book is and, you know it's not it's but, not a cheap because they spend a lot of time doing it too which is it's really yeah, ridiculous how much time they spend them. yeah you you know and you want them to really invest themselves in your book and mm-hmm. so you really need to look at it as you know making an investment in your future and mm-hmm. and um and yeah and I know a lot of and I think we talked about this when mm-hmm. we talked initially as well but you know very often you know, I think people get discouraged because, oh, well, I just spent $3,000 on this editor and, you know, I haven't sold my book, so I haven't made the money back for my advance or whatever. But I think it's so important to keep your projects in as good a shape as possible yes. because very often, whether, you know, you're pitching to an agent or whether an agent is pitching your book to an editor, you know, they're uh, an editor in a publishing company, they're, they might say, oh, you know what, I'm just, you know, I'm not really interested in this book, but I love the author's style. Mm-hmm. What else do they have? Right. 
And, you know, that's your chance. You've had this novel that you wrote 10 years ago or whatever, but, you know, then you have it all ready to send to them. Right. And, you know, and then even though that book that you initially pitched didn't sell, you know, when this other one sells really well, then you can go back and you already have this beautiful finished manuscript that can then be submitted and, you know, get looked at again. Right, exactly. It's like you, it's, you have to see it as a as an asset. It's a, it's just like any other business. It's an asset, and whether it sells now or later, there's no point in having a bad asset lying around. And also, if you've got a really great book that is well edited, then it's not the case when you the, if it's not getting read, it's because your query letters messed up, right? Or you're pitching the wrong people. In other words, the problem is not the book. The book, the book right. has had a good edit pass. So now we have to work on. Now you have to go learn the other skills about how to write the right letter and how to get it and how to find, target the right um, agents um, w- right. with the with that work. And which actually brings up kind of a topic. So you mentioned the fact that one of the things the agent has to know is which editors are right for which books, but how does an author know which agents are right for them? It's not like it's easy to find out what agents are representing what authors or and whether or not that agent would also want somebody, you know, if somebody is, um, if an agent is representing Kellerman, you know, the the um, or Tillerman or, you know, any of the other big detective um Guys or Polaniuk, you don't know that 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 agent is somebody you should be approaching with your mystery novels. So, is there a way? Right. Is it just random how you how yeah, you well, who you pitch or well, what? Well, you know, I mean, I think initially the initial steps are you know doing your again doing your research. So you know going to the website, seeing what titles they previously represented because you obviously want someone who knows the editors in your genre and can reach out you know and and is interested and knows how to, you know, pitch books like yours. Um, so, you know, it's, and, you know, and then often it's saying, okay, you know, all, looking in the acknowledgement sections of a book or doing your research online. And like you said, finding out this person represented that person. So, you know, what, so you need to, you know, do your initial research, but then a lot of it comes from, you know, when you have your initial conversations with the agent. Um, And it's really, you know, going back to the dating thing, it's, you know, really figuring out if you guys have a connection, if you feel like you can trust the agent. You know, and and 99% of all agents are, you know, trustworthy. It's not like anyone's really out there to really ruin your career or anything like that. But you need to feel comfortable with your agent and you need to be able to trust them because, you know, there's only, you know, you need to know, you need to trust that the agent is doing what they're supposed to be doing in order to publicize your book and get it out there. And lots of times, you know, I've talked to clients and on my end, it's just been, I haven't gotten a good feeling about them and their project was fine. You know, they had lots of good qualities, but it was just someone that I didn't want to work with. And that'll happen with agents. And lots of authors like agents, you know, that are more hands-on like me, as opposed to an agent that just wants to have as minimal contact as possible and just either sell your book or not sell your book. Um, You know, and then for other authors, you know, that's more what they want. So, so so let's say you work with an agent that let's say you work with an agent like you you give him your book he's had it for 6 months you 
and you know you know he's pitched it a few times a few times but it just hasn't really worked and you haven't heard from him in a while how do you, is it appropriate to say okay that's long enough i just want my book back and do you just send him a letter to sever that relationship or is there instructions in the is that part of the contract how you can how you sever the relationship between cuz a lot of yeah, times I mean, agents don't even tell you who they've pitched it's really kind of weird you know? well yeah well i mean first of all you need to um allow the agent some flexibility as far as pitching your books go. I mean, they should mm-hmm. be keeping you in the loop no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, but the publishing game is a lot of hurry up and wait. So obviously you want your book to be the one that, you know, as soon as it gets mm-hmm. pitched to editors, everyone's responding right away, you know, and then the contract gets negotiated and then, you know, it's just nonstop action. But very often, you know, I mean, a lot of my job is calling and following up with editors. Have you read the proposal yet? What do you think of the manuscript? And then obviously with a fiction manuscript, it can take people a really long time because they there are fewer editors now than there have ever been, and they've, they're managing more projects. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it's, you know, a lot of it's being patient. And I know a lot of even clients I've had have a hard time with that because they feel like, if there isn't an update every few days, then no one's doing anything for them. Right. And, you know, and you have a right as a client to ask which publishing houses the books have been pitched to, mm-hmm. but almost no agents will tell you who the, the, the names of the editors because there are the people who like to try and take it upon themselves to reach out to the editors. And then things get ugly. How come you didn't read my book? And then that obviously damages the relationships with the agents and things like that. So, but you know, if, if you really feel like your agent is not, um, Oh, and I'll say one more thing. I have had books that have, you know, just not done so well when I've pitched them and, you know, and then I've had an editor literally contact me six months later and say, tell me you have this, that this book is still available. I'm really interested. This project just got referred to me. And so, you know, there are always those stories. And then there are cycles in the publishing industry. So um, without going super into it, you know, starting on January 2nd or whatever, editors are acquiring titles, but that slows down once the summer holidays start. So mm-hmm. I might sign you in June, but I'm probably not going to <laughs> I'm sorry? That's pretty funny because it's like, oh, well, okay, so I'm signing you beginning of summer, so in three months, yeah. in the fall. So in, in <laughs> September, that's probably when I'll pitch you because that's when people will have money to spend again on book advances. Mm-hmm. And then that next season goes through the winter holidays. And then again, if you pitch me, not that you shouldn't pitch me in December, mm-hmm. but if you pitch me on December 15th, not a lot is going to happen until everyone's back after New Year's. So, you know, there are time issues, but again, going back to if you feel very uncomfortable with your relationship with your agent um, or, you know, it's just not working out, um, you want to you know, you can, it's usually in the contract, the representation agreement that you signed when you started initially, um, but you can send them an article, you can send them an email or a letter, 
whatever, requesting a termination of the agreement. And I know mm-hmm. when we terminate our agreements, we then send a an official letter back saying, you know, we're relinquishing all um, interest in the project. So if it does get sold, it's not like we get our commission on it or anything like that. And so we'll send that and we'll sign that and then the author will sign that and that'll be that. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a contentious thing. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not a divorce. Um, But, but yeah, but I mean, again, it's, you know, you, at the end of the day, no matter what, you have to be your advocate. Even if you have an agent who's, who's advocating for your book and for you, you still, at the end of the day, need to be an advocate and, you know, you need to trust your agent. But if you truly feel like you can't, then you need to get out of that relationship. Mm-hmm. And frankly, the agent needs to as well because they shouldn't be investing time in a project when, you know, their it's client is unhappy. Yeah. And I think you mentioned that during the call, like you, the the notion that a lot of times authors stay far too long in unhappy relationships when they need to understand that it's they have to it has to be a functional relationship from everybody's perspective in order for them to be successful and there's a chemistry that has to actually be there for things to work well right and you know and it's and it's sad but i mean we've had i've had clients where i've said here are things that you absolutely need to do before i can pitch your book and they're not willing to, for whatever reason, do the work. And I've had to say, okay, you know, then I'm either going to put your project on the back burner or I'm going to suggest that you, you know, take your project elsewhere because I can't, you know, invest any more time in this. And, you know, maybe there's an agent out there that will want to. And at the end of the day, I mean, it's, you know, if to, if you want to get your book project out there, you need to find the person that's going to be able to help you and get through to you. That sounds really great. So what I should do now is, because um, I, I, I'm conscious of the fact that it's uh, you've taken up a lot of your time, what I'd like to do is take a, f- <laughs> a few minutes um, and just put make sure – I've been asking the questions people have emailed me um, previous to this and um, during the call, but if it, if you have any questions that haven't been answered – at this point, please send me an email at nancy.fulton at yahoo.com. And once again, that's uh, nancy.fulton at yahoo.com. And uh, I'll go ahead and I'll um, I'll ask them now. Um, one set of questions that um, one set of questions I have is from. Uh, I was about to read the name, and I thought, no, probably not. Um, one question I have, <laughs> one question I have, um, one set of questions I have is from um, an author who works actually at a studio, and she had a question about um, what trends or genres appear to be particularly um, relevant at the moment, or particular, or look like they're about to be taking off. You know, every so often we run into a period where dragon books are popular. You know, sure, or science fiction. Yes, and you know, everyone wrote Twilight books, and everyone right. wanted to do Fifty Shades of Grey or Da Vinci mm-hmm. Code, and um, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, um, so yes. Well, before I answer that, I will say that the tricky thing with you know hot genres is that they're hot right now. But the book books usually take about 18 months to get published mm-hmm. from, you know, pitching to having it on bookshelves. 
So very often what was hot 18 months ago is not hot right now. Right. And, um, and so I, you know, I see a lot of authors trying to mimic what is happening right now um, instead of trying to, you know, kind of forge their own path. Um, so, I mean, I would say that, um, I mean, as far as nonfiction goes, the, you know, perennially popular um, genres are, um, you know, self-help, diet, um, and um, and books like that. I mean, there's always business stuff, um, personal finance books. You know, it's really about finding a unique target audience as opposed mm-hmm. to just trying to be another Susie Orman or whatever. Right. Um, and with fiction, um, you know, the it's really exciting because it does seem like the publishing industry is taking a lot more of an interest in um, diverse voices. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, books about minority characters, whatever that might mean, you know, whether it's a race or religion or handicap or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's been really exciting. Um, So again, you know, and again, that comes down to having it be a unique voice because you've all heard the same, you know, blonde 20-something protagonist, but having this, you know, new te- new voice is definitely attracting attention. Um, so, you know, I would say definitely that. I mean, obviously, it's been a very political time mm-hmm. and will continue to be a political time. So, you know, I think, and I think people are getting much more interested and involved in world issues. So, mm-hmm. you know, books that don't necessarily just take place in New York City or Los Angeles. Um, but yeah, but it's, you know, the diverse voices and it doesn't have to be, you know, a minority author writing about a minority author. It, you know, mm-hmm. you can write, I mean, you can write whatever you want as long as, you know, it sounds credible and feels genuine and things like that. So, right. so I would say that's definitely what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a, um, uh, another question about, um, are there uh, pop or self-help or pop te- pop psychology trends that are um, particularly interesting just at the moment? Like I think for a while, like you were mentioning the the financial self-help um, books, I think have been popular and they are they are getting more talk. Some are being written for people about to retire, and some are being written for millennials, and some are being written for mm-hmm. you know. But are there any um, uh, of those kinds of books that are um, particularly uh, selling particularly well at the moment that you that people seem to have an appetite for or, or editors seem to be looking for. Well, I'll tell you. I guess you know I'll I'll answer that by telling you the one genre, you know, the one area that is not really interesting to people anymore is the here are my fifty bad dates and what I've learned from them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, initially that was a really unique thing and people really enjoyed that and people were really buying those books. Um, and, you know, we still get, I mean, I would say the majority of the relationship pop psychology type books are people, you know, discussing bad dates, bad dates, or, you know, it's not just theirs, but they've incorporated their friends or other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just become such a, 
uh, tired genre because even though we can all sit around and laugh and talk about it over a glass of wine, you know, it's people aren't paying for that content. So, so we've had and you know, um, and I'm you know I'm glad we talked about it at the beginning of this about incorporating other people's stories because it's becoming more and more important that people aren't trying to pitch stories in any of those genres where it's just basically their memoir because memoirs are so hard to sell right. unless you know and it's and it's tragic because you have you know I I hate having to tell authors you know who've sat you know sat there and they've told me there's these horrific life stories and you know they've risen above it and you know it's very touching you know and often I'm moved to tears but it's it breaks my heart because I have to tell people well there are already this many books about abusive fathers out there right. and you know and it's just one of those ugly truths so you know it's it's yeah and so it's definitely about finding a unique story to tell and a unique take and mm-hmm. and really setting yourself apart because I would you know I'm constantly looking for a great you know relationship advice or dating book but it just it so often just falls into that that, that category that's kind of overused, and it's not going to be easy yeah. for you to pitch. This is an interesting right. question, which I think you'll like a lot. Um, uh, so the person um, sending the message is a produced screenwriter and a WGA mm-hmm. member who's moving into writing fiction as in novels. Um, okay. But they're wondering whether or not they should put that in their query because they think that there's a bias against screenwriters becoming novelists. Is that your experience? That is not my experience. I think that... It is obviously good if you are a produced screenwriter, if you have credits that can be shared with the agent that you're pitching Mm -hmm. um, and are recognizable, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because not that it's easy to be optioned, period, but, you know, there, you know, I meet lots of screenwriters who have had interest in their projects, but they haven't, you know, proven themselves as commercial writers as far as in the vision of the publishing company. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, so I mean I don't think I don't think that there's there's no reason to hide any aspect of your career that mm-hmm. can illustrate to people that you know that you understand the craft of writing. I mean right. because one of the most wonderful things that happens when screenwriters become novelists is that, you know, a their dialogue is much better generally um, and that they really understand the basics of story and structure because they've had to work with such a you know tough structure when you're doing the screenplay you know you only have 95 pages or whatever to you know get the story done and understanding these things need to happen now and connect that and so you know often when I'm at writers conferences and people are people are saying what do I put in my query letter and and you know, I I you know talked to this one person who was not a professional writer, but she was writing this book about high school students, but she had worked as a guidance counselor in high schools for thirty five years. And so I said, You should definitely mention that because even though that doesn't mean that you, you know, come up with beautiful metaphors and, you know, lovely turns of phrases that means, you know, that at least illustrates that you have some expertise in the area that you're writing about, you know, mm-hmm. so you're not, so people aren't going to say, well, 
you're 65. How could you possibly know what teenagers are like or whatever? So, yes. So I think that that person should definitely mention that, but I don't think they should depend on that being the thing that would sell their book. Right. Well, unless they've happened to have, you know, unless they're John Hughes and they wrote, um, you know, five of the, you know, because that's a different issue. Basically, that's proving that you know how to write for a market. And also there may be name recognition, but I I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a disadvantage. It's just, it's certainly worth mentioning. And as you say, is if the scripts, if the scripts have sold and become movies, then that's a thing. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's nice when you're, when we're reading query letters, that's, you know, a nice hook to hook us into the story. Here's what happens in the story. The characters are dynamic and exciting. And then, you know, I am a, um, you know, screenwriter, a WGA member, you know, screenwriter who's had these, you know, this many movies produced, you know, I, and, you know, it gives us information about you that makes you unique and obviously illustrates your expertise in the writing field. And yes, so anything you can, anything you can do honestly that, you know, can, can boost the interest around who you are is is definitely worthy of being included. Right. And then I guess this this should probably be the last question, which is um what if what if you've previously written erotica, which as you know is um a uh mm-hmm. a kind of a, <laughs> a strangely burgeoning field. Um yeah. did, is it should <laughs> they mention should they mention that in a query letter? Um if they're pitching if they're reaching out to agents but the novel that they're pitching isn't erotica in other words if they've been successful writing erotica and the book that they're taking to the editor or that they're, sorry that they're looking to get an agent for or wanting to acquire an agent um and the book they have is not erotica should they mention that they've done erotica or does that sort of taint the agent's impression of the of them as an well, author that's a really interesting question, and I think different agents will likely tell you different things. Um, I would, if you have done extremely well in erotica, then I would definitely include it because you're showing that you're a commercial author. Mm-hmm. If you've, you know, written prolifically in erotica but, you know, don't really have a huge audience, I don't think you necessarily need to include that. Um, mm-hmm. I think you, you know, and I think it, I think it is a little bit, of a gamble um, mm-hmm. to, you know, just like Michael Jordan played basketball, but then when he started playing baseball, you were kind of like, well, wait a second. <laughs> like, right. This doesn't make sense to me. Um, right. Even though it's still writing, it's still being an athlete. Um, you know, I just think that you need to prepare yourself for the fact that there will be people that will say, oh, this is an erotica. Why would I be interested? But you want to find the agent that says, oh, okay, she did really well in this. And, right. you know, there's there's so many elements of erotica that, you know, if you can write that well, then that can translate into these other genres, even if it doesn't involve as much sex or sensuality or whatever. Right. So, so and, go ahead. No, I was going to ask... Um, so the the if you've written under pseudonyms before, because that's the thing is so <laughs> when I was writing fiction, <laughs> mm-hmm. okay, so I'm working for Autodesk with like the largest quantity of men on the planet Earth, right? And mm-hmm. I'm working as one of their senior technical authors. And meanwhile, I have this ridiculous interest in writing romance novels, which was my my passion when I was in my twenties. 
And mm-hmm. so I basically just ended up writing under a pseudonym because I mm-hmm. couldn't go <laughs> because you do not want to be found. It, it's just not going to yeah. work, you know. <laughs> it's just going to. It's not going to go well. So, um, if if you've previously used a pseudonym and you've done well under the pseudonym, do you mention that as as well? Because I, I think some people have the idea. Well, if you're writing under a pseudonym, you must not be proud of the work. But that's. I think no, agents are smart would, enough to know. I would say that. Um, I would say if you know. I, as Megan Zavala, had written erotica, but now I want to, as Megan Zavala, write mm-hmm. standard romance or I want to write mystery or something mm-hmm. like that. I would, you know, if I've done fabulously well in erotica, I would say, yes, I've published, mm-hmm. you know, these books, that they've sold this many copies, blah, 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 blah. Um, if you've written under a pseudonym, I, you know, I don't think that... I think, again, you know, it applies if you've sold a zillion copies, you know, definitely mention I've, you know, published a lot of books under the pseudonym. But I think pseudonyms are also really great because you, it gives you the freedom to write in different genres mm-hmm. and establish audiences in those genres that don't necessarily need to intersect. And yes. you can, you can, you know, I mean, we've had clients that um, we've had clients that have we've done the deals with the publishers. You know, basically um, up until we got the contract put together, you know, the publishers only knew them by their pseudonyms. Really? And yes, and so I mean, obviously in the contract, you know, because it's a legal document, it'll say Megan Zavala, mm-hmm. you know, AKA. Joan Smith or whatever, mm-hmm. although hopefully I'd come up with a more interesting pseudonym, but, <laughs> but, um, but anyways, so yeah, so I think, um, you know, I mean, I think that I don't think there's any shame in doing things under a pseudonym. And I think, you know, there are lots of authors, successful authors out there who do that. Um, and so, yeah, so I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of or afraid of or whatever. It's just, it comes down to, again, that, you know, Joan Smith needs to have that audience. Right. So, which which is, which is, if you're, which is an interesting, um, as long, the question is, is the audience going to be relevant to your new book? So if you've previously written, if you previously have written, um, mystery novels under your own name and you want to start, you know, and you've just written an erotica thing, you may want to set up a new name, but how are you going to bring the mystery people over to make the new book to to serve as a platform for the new for the new name that you're creating? So it's it's a lot like brand names for a company, if you think yes. about it. It's the same exact problem that brands have, you know? Yes, exactly. I mean, if if you, you know, made your fortune selling skateboards and then you decide that you want to do jewelry i mean that doesn't necessarily mean you can't do that but you need to find you need to make your effort and either you need to start then start a jewelry company or mm-hmm. you need to you know figure out how to make that jewelry interesting to your skateboarding crowd and mm-hmm. i think that's also kind of an interesting thing that authors need to remember is that you know i think when we as writers get started writing we're writing for ourselves because of how mm-hmm. it makes us feel and we have these stories in our head that we just have to get out or else we're never going to sleep again. But I think once you start building your audience, you need to be conscious of what they want 
And right. it might not always be exactly what you want. And you don't need to sell your soul or anything like that. But, you know, if you've created this beloved protagonist, people are going to want to have more books about the beloved protagonist right. as opposed to you introducing this whole new series. And so... Sure. Or have, or, or if you've been writing cozy romance, if you've been writing cozy mysteries, and then all of a sudden you do, you want to start writing, you know, something that's much more visceral and dark, then yeah, you're, the, what's going to happen is your cozy mystery people are going to pick up one of those novels because it's got your name on it. But I, you know, that brings up something that I talk to people a lot about, which is, you know. Actually, not so much here, but when I was teaching people how to start businesses in the UK, one of the things I tell them is, because they'd want to put their name in, <laughs> and believe me, my name is Nancy Fulton Meetup, so I understand that this is a stupid thing for me personally to think. But I'd tell them, I'd go, here's the thing. If you put your name in, into your company name, what happens is you become your company. Mm-hmm. And you're so strong. That means that people want, you are, a, then somehow or other you are a product. And people get mad when you are not the product that they expect you to be. So mm-hmm. if you're going to do something that's racy or outside the lines, you know, remember the word pseudonym, you know, or remember the idea that you can set up a company that does that that's separate from you, that you can build that brand with a separate – because then you're not building it under your own name, which you may want to use, I don't know, for living. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like it's like exactly. movie stars have that trouble all the time. Actually, I'm a human. Well, that's awkward. <laughs> it's not good. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then you have the people that you know the the actresses where you've seen them in comedies and mm-hmm. nobody wants to see them try and do some dramatic movie because right. they think it's going to be awkward. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's you know again it's being open minded and you know mm-hmm. figuring out the the best thing for you and mm-hmm. yeah and that you know you shouldn't deny your creative impulses if you want to write your, you know, dark thriller as opposed to your cozy murder mystery, then go ahead and do it. But just know that it's going to take, you know, uh, some different effort from you as far as getting that out there or as far as convincing your audience that they really need to give this book a shot. (laughs) Learn to like it. But anyway, So I want to thank you very much for taking the time to um, speak uh, speak with me tonight. It's really been amazing, and I think you've helped an incredible number of people. And with your permission, I'll make it available to um, the, the the all the people that um, are in my meetups, and uh, you know, make the recording available so they can listen to it later. Because I know a lot of people. Um, uh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And then. If there's anything, <laughs> if there's anything I can do to make your life better, I hope you'll let me know. I mean, I would when your books get launched, maybe I can. I, I might. I'd like to um, maybe uh, consider interviewing your authors because that's one of the things that um, I'm trying more and more is to introduce people to folks who are working successfully as writers and as screenwriters, so that people sure. get a sense for how their careers work. Because I think that there's kind of a magical. J.K. Rowling's was, in some sense, very unfortunate in that she was living on the dole and very fortunate in the fact that, that the book that she released made her the richest woman in the world. And I think that there is um, – I want to make it so people understand what an actual author's life actually looks like so that they stop comparing themselves to the sort of fantasy. And yeah, I think well, it will make things better for people. Yeah, well, and I think it's, and I think it's important to get – 
you know, as many different perspectives as possible mm-hmm. because even just talking about, you know, the two clients that mm-hmm. just that we're talking about tonight, I mean, Mark O'Connell has had a relationship with our agency for a long time um, mm-hmm. back when we did used to, I mean, back in the 80s and 90s when we did represent screenplays and things like that. Mm-hmm. So we, ha- we had a previous relationship with him. We knew who he was. So even though the project was a little offbeat for what we would normally seek out you know it was okay then let's take a look at this oh it's really great okay whereas excuse me Natalie McCain I mean she came from the query excuse me the query slush pile Mm -hmm. so she just so she you know we started with her from the ground up so we got a query letter you know that whole thing and so you know she has a much different experience than he did and -hmm. they worked with different publishers and things like that so I think it's definitely good for authors who are you know looking to get started or branch out or whatever to really you know seek out as many stories as possible because you know what launched one person to success is not necessarily going to be the thing that's going to do it for you right and I, i want people to get that notion that i want people to understand that it's there's not a normal it's there are conventions and there are things that work and there's there's professional behavior and so forth but it's not mm-hmm. There's not a one, it's not a one size. If you're going to be a doctor, there's a set of things you have to do to become a doctor because there's a series of qualifications you have to go through. That's not the same kind of benchmarks that authors authors face. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, I want people to sort of start understanding that because I keep hearing over and over again this notion that just kind of crazy notions that people come up with. They're like, fan, it's like they've watched, you know, Murder, She Wrote or something. You know? you go, right. Well, that's not exactly a textbook, though. <laughs> Right. Like a TV show. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I just kind of want to ground people and like, no, this is his, this is his path, and this is his path. So you're looking for all the different open doors, all the different ways people have succeeded to see, so you can find the wor- the doors that open for you, rather than trying to fit yourself in some sort of like textbook mold. And so the more right. real life voices I get, the better. So, but anyway, you've been amazing. Well, yeah, and I, and I, you know, and I, and I just want to say kind of as a final note that, you know, I mean, we spend a lot of time, you know, and I spend a lot of time talking to people about platforms and, okay, this is how you structure a query letter and, and this is how you do this and don't take things personally and things like that. But at the end of the day, um, you know, agents and editors are looking for, for great books and that it's just important, you know, to just, to just write and just stick with it and just create great stuff and that eventually you know your your time will come it might not happen right away but just to to keep creating and not get too frustrated by you know a checklist of things you need to do in order to get someone's attention because at the end of the day you know it really does come down to you know I really want to be entertained I want to be inspired I want to read a great book and you know that's that's my favorite part of the job Um, Mm -hmm. you know it's nice to make money it's nice to have my name on you know an industry website but you know i i love books and i want to surround myself with them and you know i consider myself lucky to work with authors and that they should just continue doing what they love to do mhm i agree it's like it it doesn't you can do all of the all of the business and mechanical stuff right and if the the book itself is not wonderful then None of that's going to work. And if the book is wonderful, it's a lot of times it will find its way in the world just because it's wonderful. 
you know, people would. Yeah, and I mean, I would rather get, you know, I mean, again, yes, people want to make money, but I would rather get my clients' books into, you know, a small group of people's hands whose, you know, lives are changed by it or who are inspired by it or who fall in love with it rather than, you know, have it be, you know, this fluff book that, you know, a bunch of people read but they don't really connect with. Mm-hmm. I agree. I definitely agree. It's been a pleasure talking to you. If there's anything I can do to make your life better, I hope you'll reach out. And uh, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us. It's really wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.